Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We're back at the NFL Report. I am Steve White with my guy, James Palmer. Week one is almost completely in the bank. And stick with me because we are going to continue this financial money theme throughout the show. JP, I just saw you slide into your seat Chris Collinsworth style, man. Where are you coming from, bro? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was in 20A, United. Uh, just, uh, you know, standard economy, four-hour and 20-minute flight from Foxborough. Had a chance to hang out with TB12 yesterday for Eagles and Patriots. Since 1999, this was our first Sunday to open a season, Steve, without Tom Brady. Well, he was still there in Foxborough. I'm not going to lie. The new additions to Gillette are incredible. The new scoreboard, the lighthouse, it's its unreal. Robert Kraft at it again. Well, there you go. At least you were in an exit row, JP. And I think a lot of people with the New York Giants yeah. wish they were in an exit row uh, after what happened against the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> Sunday night. Hey, I was at the Chargers-Dolphins game. I mean, that was the best game of the weekend, seven lead changes. Oh. And how about this, James? I had the honor, uh, serious honor at halftime for the jersey retirement ceremony to bring in Charlie Joyner, number 18, and Kellen Winslow, number 80, as they became the fifth and sixth Chargers wow. to have their numbers retired. Our guy LaDainian Tomlinson was there. That's cool. That was hot. But, JP, I, I, you know, week one, like I talked about, a lot of money. We have a money trail we have to follow here. So why don't you just take those crumbs okay. and lead us into our first discussion, sir? <laughs> Yeah, let's, let's follow the breadcrumbs. Let's follow the money because let's go with a guy who just got paid in Joe Burrow, the highest paid player in the NFL after that new contract right before the start of the season. And what does he do? Well, they lay an egg, Steve, uh, <laughs> offensively. But I think the storyline, honestly, and we'll, we'll talk about the Bengals at length. We'll have Cam Wolf on a little bit later who was also at that game in Cleveland. Let's start out with the defense that gave Joe Burrow that miserable, miserable Day. I, Steve, for one, with all the coaching changes that happened, spent some time in Cleveland during training camp, and you know I'm a Philly guy. I thought Jim Schwartz was maybe my favorite offseason acquisition by any team with him running this defense because I'm curious if there's a better matchup than maybe James Cameron casting Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator than Miles Garrett playing for Jim Schwartz. Oh I mean, God. it's just a perfect match. He's had 16 sacks each of the last two seasons. I think he could get 20 in this, in this scheme that he's operating in, now that he has, we saw Zadarius Smith on the other side, they went and got interior type of players right at the start of free agency where they could be better as an interior defensive line. He's able to allow them to go out there, Steve, and play faster. 
play at a higher speed. It's simpler. He's got corners that can play this. He's got a safety. I think this part's really underrated in Rodney McLeod yep. that knows this system so well to help out that group on the back end. And they were able to give Joe Burrow just pretty much his worst day of his career, pulled with about five minutes to go because of what this defense was able to do. What stood out to you most about this game? Because to me, it was this defense that maybe, I don't know, Jim Schwartz in this defense, the one that shakes up this whole division, which could be one of the toughest in football. Well, first off, talking about Jim Schwartz, there were plays when Miles Garrett was actually in a two-point stance over center. Like, he was giving the Bengals all, all kind over of different looks. Yep. And, and so this is a new element to what has been a one-sided rivalry in here because Cleveland, I think this was the fifth time out of the last six games they'd beaten Joey B. Um, so that you got that part mm -hmm. of it. And then you've got the Browns offense, right? We're gonna, we are gonna we wondered, we talked about it last week, JP, about how this offense was going to look, especially this dominant run game with Nick Chubb, with Deshaun Watson playing mainly out of shotgun. Well, we saw it yesterday where Nick Chubb you know, rushed for more than 100 yards. Deshaun Watson went for, I think, more than 50 yards rushing. So that's going to be, to me, the formula for what this offense does all season because Deshaun Watson wasn't great throwing the ball. We know we had weather in that game, but it still seemed like they were, they, they've got some timing things that they've got to work through with the style that he plays. But that run game is going to be, to me, JP, important. And, and there's also a new, new element to this in Cleveland. Jack Conklin, the starting offensive tackle for the Browns, he's out mm -hmm. for the season with a knee injury. That's something that could, could impact it, but they drafted a rookie out of Ohio State, out of your alma mater, to come in there and do his thing. I know you got the yeah. scouting report. Lit. I do, Steve. I have the scouting report. It was, uh, I did the pro day, and it was like when Jerry Seinfeld said, I refuse to run. I refuse to race. He did not want to work out at the pro day. He just said, oh, I don't, I'm not working out. He was there. Didn't work out. But I will say this. The back end of training camp with Dewan Jones, who is a massive, massive human being, has actually grown a little bit as this camp has gone on. And it's extremely important because he is now their starting right tackle. Kevin Stefanski announced it on Monday. Jack Conklin with the ACL is done for the season. And his first test as a starter in the NFL is going to be going against probably a very angry T.J. Watt and Steelers defense after Watt had three sacks in that game against the 49ers. And he's now going to have to try to handle T.J. Watt and protect Joe Burrow. Uh, I mean, to protect Deshaun Watson. And I think that part, to me, Steve, stands out as in that's another added element we might see Deshaun Watson using his legs. I talked to him after their final preseason game, and he told me, you know, I am a guy that scrambles and looks to throw off the scramble. He might be looking to run off the scramble a little bit more if he uses his legs continuously as a part of the way this offense moves. Kevin Stefanski kind of believes, in, in, in my understanding, that it's a week-by-week basis on how they'll use Deshaun in terms of the run game. There was one designed run they put in late, I'm told, uh, to that was specifically for Deshaun to have the right look and make the call himself, Steve. And he did, and that's what he scored a touchdown on. So they're going to find ways to have him use his legs. Yeah, I mean, they have to. Again, the way this offense works, the way that run game works with Nick Chubb setting things up, that's perfect. Perfect segue there, JP, to help us transition down this money trail. Because, again, we're following the money. And we know Nick Bosa, he got paid last week five years, $170 million. Well, he doesn't practice all training camp. They go up to Pittsburgh, and the 49ers lay an absolute thrashing on the Steelers, the preseason Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers, mind you. 
They go up there, win 30 to <laughs> yeah. 7. I was part a, of that hype. Yeah. Hey, hey, and a large part of this, though, is because offensively, with the San Francisco 49ers, they were able to jump to that 20 point lead. And our guy, the quarterback, Brock Purdy, comes out. Everyone's wondering about Brock Purdy. They didn't miss a beat. They come out offensively. He throws the ball. He gets it out on time. And JP, he's got Christian McCaffrey. Who says you don't need a bell cow running back? Not Kyle Shanahan. McCaffrey totes it more than 22 times. He's got the explosive touchdown. We're going to talk about a part of that run, which is one of my favorite plays uh, of, of the weekend. But here you're seeing the offensive line. Look at the eyes. Look at the read. Oh, there's a block. Look at the physicality that McCaffrey runs with. And then right here, look at the blocking. Look at the blocking. Here's his read. This is what the Niners do, JP. They get the 20-point lead, and then it's off to the races. Then you're asking Kenny Pickett to throw the ball a billion times more. I mean, only 46 times mm-hmm. than he wants to throw it. I mean, that that's too much. That's not the formula that Mike Tomlin wants to play with. You get Kenny Pickett throwing the ball 46 times, you're going to be off to the races like Christian McCaffrey he is here on this long TD run. I love you talking about the physicality because you know what this team does when they're on the road in the hotel Saturday night? They don't watch a single offensive play, which if I had Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, all those weapons, I'd be watching some highlights. No, they watch only highlights of the defense because they want their entire mindset to be about physicality. And the offense goes out and tries to match the physicality of the way this defense plays. But sticking with the offense, I think there was a little bit of a chip on Kyle Shanahan's shoulder, obviously on Brock Purdy's shoulder, and pretty much everybody else that you heard talk in that locker room after this game. I think, Steve, it was, watch us. We made the right decision in our quarterback room. Oh, there was a couple things said by Patrick Peterson in the week about yeah. our quarterback. Did you hear Brock Purdy in the post-game press conference? He said, oh, that, that first touchdown to Brandon Ayuk, who, who was in coverage there? And somebody said, you think he didn't know who was in coverage there? Oh, they said Patrick Peterson. I like oh, that. Oh, yeah. That was a I good like play. That. that one felt good. That one felt good. Here, I like the kind of mindset. We, I know we overreact about week one, and, and, and everybody's season is either over or they're going to the Super Bowl. But I think you can read into the 49ers' mindset in, we were rolling before we got to that NFC Championship game and lost both of our quarterbacks. I think you could tell by the way Kyle Shanahan called this game the way he was aggressive, the way he went after certain people, to prove a point about them, to prove a point about Brock Purdy. I like the mindset. There was some jabbering going on in that 49ers locker room afterwards, especially Joey Bosa and a couple, I mean, Nick Bosa and a couple other guys just kind of saying, you know, we're ready to put you know the pedal to the metal, Steve, right off the jump. And I think that's one of the biggest things about this Niners team. And you look at where they start the season, they could be 4-0 very easily uh, through these first four games. Yeah, look, and, and what's what's interesting is, is, like you said, overreaction Monday week one, no team's as bad as, as yeah. they seem, no team's as good as they seem, except I do think the Niners are one of the teams we could read the tea leaves on and say this this is where they're headed. And yep. here's a prime example why. Nick Bosa didn't have a sack. Javon Hargrave had a great game, but Drake Jackson, the second-year defensive end who should benefit with having Eric Armstead and Hargrave and Bosa on that line, oh, he benefited. He had three sacks. You got a fourth guy Three. on that line who could wreak havoc now that, that that's going to be a significant problem James we, we have more money to talk about to talk about this money trail oh, okay and the New York Giants they got their lunch money taken they got their breakfast money taken uh-huh they got bankrupted mm-hmm. they got bankrupted 
They didn't score a point by the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys coming in and putting a 40 to nothing. They Coco Goffed them a 40 to love beatdown on them at MetLife Stadium. Yeah, that was that was something. I'm not gonna lie. I walk. I I, I walked in from into my hotel in Boston. Uh, you know, sitting in that tremendous traffic out of Foxborough. There's a lot of ways to get out of that stadium. Uh, no, there's not. And so I got in there and I was like, this game's pretty much over. I, 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 got, I better hit the sheets. I got an early flight tomorrow. We knew that this was going to be a dominant defense. Um, and I know we talked about the 49ers going out there, Stephen, on both sides of the ball. I think they wanted to prove a point. I think there was a definite point pro- proven by this Dallas defense. And I listen, on yeah. game day morning, I was on it. I'm listening to the whole show in my ear. Gerald McCoy and Michael Irvin can't stop arguing about the Cowboys. We're already talking about them at nauseum. I think the, the hype train is now into the stratosphere after this 40 to nothing beatdown. The biggest beatdown by a by a Cowboys team ever, Steve, in terms That's of a crazy. shutdown. It was 38 to nothing against the Baltimore Colts in 1978. This is their largest shutout victory ever. And I think Micah Parsons and company wanted to go out and prove a point. And now it's going to be really fun week two against the Jets. Yeah, look, we're, we're, hey, JP, we're going to have James Slater on in just a little bit to talk about this defense. But the fact that, you know, you talk about all the action that they have up front with Micah Parsons and Dexter Lawrence and some of those guys. Hey, man, I'm sorry, Demarcus Lawrence. The fact that they added the Gilly Lock, and we're going to talk about Stephon Gilmore to go yep. with Trevon Diggs to hold those receivers up a little, that says something. But for them to go up, and they play a Giants team, right? They were like, oh, the Giants were barking. Oh, what about all these people talking about the Giants and Giants? And they went up there with bad intentions and, and played like this. Like you said, you talk, we talked about the 49ers kind of letting the world know. And we know the Cowboys were going to have really good defense, and they should have a, a very good team. Dak did not have to do too much last night. This offense did not have to do too much. No. That's how they want to play. Now, there's going to be games in this offense that's going to have to do a lot. And we're seeing this quick, I love this quick pitch to Tony Pollard, the old two-handed volleyball shovel pitch that we used to run in high school. <laughs> a really good design. But there's going to be some games with this offense going to have to step up. But the defense, it has been the leading defense in takeaways over the past two seasons. And now with Mike McCarthy calling the offense, they're going to be able to pick their spots when they can flash. But this was the ideal game for the Cowboys. And for the Giants, I think some of those expectations, uh, I don't know if they need to be tempered because, again, I don't want to really overreact. But this is going to be a tough week for the Giants in regrouping because they know last year they got away with a couple victories with certain things they did with the enthusiasm and the way they played ETC. But they do have a way to go throughout if they want to be a player in the, in the NFC. And this was a heck of a wake-up call for them. So, again, we're going to have James Slater on in just a little bit. Uh, to talk more about the Cowboys and what's going on. But coming up in the next block, JP, we got a lot of pettiness coming out of Ohio. We went to Ohio State. You know what pettiness is? Oh, give me the Wolfman. Yeah, this is real now. This is really real. We'll be back soon on the NFL Report. Woof. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's been a lot of trash talk in this battle. Jamar Chase made an L's reference. You held them to 33 passing yards for Jamar Chase, none for T. Higgins on eight targets. What does that mean in that battle? It means a lot, man. We're trying to be the best in the world. We're trying to be the best secondary. We're trying to get all our, the whole secondary to the Pro Bowl. So we're just trying to go out and dominate every game. But it's about us, man, taking a game at a time. You mentioned dominate. When you look at this rivalry as of late, you guys have dominated six of your last seven. What is it about the bio, Battle of Ohio and, and, and particularly playing here in Cleveland that gets y'all ramped They mean a lot. These division games, man, they mean a lot. So anytime you come out and get a win, that's big. All right, that was our Cameron Wolf with Browns cornerback Denzel Ward. We are now joined by Killer Cam. He's OH. back in his home in Florida after being in Ohio for the Browns' fifth victory in the past six games over Joe Burrow. Uh, Cam, you talked about what that Browns defense did to Joe Burrow. We saw how ineffective they was after, after the, the, the Bengals' offense was after Burrow not being in all most of training camp because of that calf injury. Should folks be worried about what's happening with Cincinnati's offense? No, Steve, they should not be worried. But there's one key caveat I want to tell later that I, I do want to see the Bengals improve upon. But the reason why they shouldn't be worried is the Bengals have been here before. Second straight year, Joe Burrows missed essentially all of training camp, and they struggled out the gate. Last year, they were 0-2 to start. They ended up finishing 12-4. and And I was talking to players on the field in pregame, and they said they didn't legitimately didn't know that Burrow was going to play until about midweek of game week. And so there's a lot of uncertainty. A couple guys said they were worried what? a bit, right? What they're gonna, what's going on? What's going on? They they thought he would play. They didn't fully know. And so you have the uncertainty, and that affects game planning. All week, coaches are telling me well, it's not going to be the same as last year. It's not going to be the same. We're going to be ready. We're going to be ready. Well, they were not ready. And so they're going to get it together. They're going to get their rush ready. Joe Burrow's going to get healthier. He's not going to have a career low in passing yards like he did before. Um, and so that's going to get past them. And then there's also the element that the Browns seem to have their number. We talked about their record. They match up extremely well with their corners and their receivers. And so ultimately, they don't play the Browns every week. So the, Brown the Bengals will be fine. But I do have one caveat. I'm curious, Cam, though, that, you know, I know the weather played a part. I know Joe Burrow had to throw a glove yeah. on at one point, throws for 82 yards, only six first downs. But to me, in the AFC, from week one on, I think everybody has to be looking for an advantage. Because if you're one of these teams contending to come out of the AFC and go play in Vegas, every single week's going to matter whether in the postseason this could matter whether, I know we overreact in week one, but could matter whether you're playing the AFC title game at Arrowhead or at home, or how your playoff situation is going to go. I think early in this season, if you look at this division, 
what do you have? Kenny Pickett is, you know, 13 career starts. You have Deshaun Watson still getting his feet wet in Cleveland. You have a new offensive coordinator with the Ravens. What was the Cincinnati Bengals' advantage? Continuity. Everybody was back. Everybody was back from the from the offensive staff. I thought that would give them advantage early. This could be a missed opportunity in a sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm completely perplexed by what Cam said about the wide receivers not knowing if Joe Burrow was going to play or not. I mean, yeah. so what? So what? I mean, what? Is, what? Hey, you, you've been practicing with the other with the other quarterbacks all training camp. So if Burrow was playing or not, what difference should that make? So the fact that they were even talking about that um, just doesn't sound right to me when we know how how high functioning this offense can be. Now Joe Burrow makes one heck of a difference, but I think what happened also let's not discount it. We talked about earlier is Jim Schwartz came out there and showed them some looks. Where, um, you know, they were kind of like Missy Ellett, like, uh, hey, uh, duh, <laughs> couldn't figure it out. Right, right. And Steve, to your point, um, the Bengals have really struggled with the Browns, and the Browns' corners made clear they feel like it's because they had the receivers' numbers. Martin Emerson, Denzel Ward, uh, Greg Newsom, they match up extremely well. There's not group. a lot of teams that have the three corners that can match up with their three receivers. And their thought process is the Bengals' passing attack is their offense. If you stop those receivers, you stop the Bengals. And when I was in the locker room after the game, I talked to Ogo Arakwa, who's one of the Browns' defensive linemen, and he's had a great quote about Jim Schwartz's scheme. He essentially said, the seatbelts are off. We want to get off that rock. We want to shoot first and ask questions later. So we turned off the camera, and I'm walking and talking with him. We're talking about how he's playing the Celebrate tonight. And I said, I've got one more question for you, man. Why, when you guys send all these pressure looks, you're having Miles Garrett line up at inside linebacker and get there at will. Why didn't you guys seem worried about the running attack? He smiled at me. He said, we're not worried because we shoot first and ask questions later. And so I was thinking about that on the plane uh, back here. And I'm like, the Bengals have really struggled to run the ball the last three years. They're bottom five running team. The coaches told no, me so every day, anymore. they saw the weather that it was going to be a Nick Chubb game. They were like, oh, it's going to be a Nick Chubb game. Why didn't the Bengals adjust? Why didn't the Bengals go to Joe Mixon more? Why can't they adjust on the fly? To me, that comes a worry later in the season. If you're one-dimensional, not many teams have the corners, but the Jets have the corners to be able to play these guys one-on-one. The Dolphins, if they get healthy late in the year with Jalen Ramsey, Xavier Howard, and Cater Kohu, they'll have the corners late in the year. And then the Browns do. What do you do in those matchups when they play man like they do and say, we're going to be, our guys are better than yours. Let's see how you adjust. That, to me, is the one caveat that I'm a little worried about with the Bengals going forward. Listen, the Bengals didn't have a problem during the week. Apparently, he didn't know if his quarterback was playing or not, but Jamar (laughs) Chase was confident. Whether it was going to be Joe Burrow or or somebody else out there, he was dropping some Elves references during the week. Let's, let's Let's hear Jamar Chase. Um, it's frustrating because I called the elves and we just lost to some elves. So I'm pissed on my part. I'm not. I'm pissed on on that end. Um, like I said, man, we got missed opportunities. We didn't capitalize on it, and, and we lost. So that's how we lost. Yeah, and now we're also showing a tweet. We're getting ready to show a tweet right now because Jamar was 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 barking a little bit for the game too, and so Cleveland had a nice retort. Remember, Jamar said, "Oh, Cleveland is Cleveland." Well, the Browns said, "Hey, hey, hey, Cleveland is Cleveland." And there's Deshaun Watson celebrating playing his guitar at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with that 3-2-24 score right there. Look, Cam, you, you, you got to kind of love the pettiness of what's going on right here because the Browns, you know, like you I said so it. far, they, they, they've had the number for the Bengals. I mean, it's one of the few teams 
that they can say this against, but they do have to play the Bengals later in the year. So, you know, there, there's that part. But let's also get to, you saw Cleveland. Deshaun Watson did not necessarily play well in the passing game, but in the running game, the combo, him and Nick Chubb was something special. Yeah, absolutely. I love pettiness too, by the way. I love that trash talk all the time. But uh, Deshaun yeah, Watson. You should um, see what this dude texts all the time, Steve. <laughs> pettiness is my friend. I also like that Jamar Chase doubles down on that after an L. Like, what is the rare? You're wrong. Like, you guys got beat, I do too. You got shut down, and you still double down. Um, so that's the rare uh, transition where you just got to swallow that. And Greg Newsom said that after the game. He was like, hey, you know, he's just got to swallow this L. But. That, that next game is going to be a fun uh, uh, duo here, uh, you know, kind of revenge game for the Bengals, but they have not had a lot of luck there at all. Well, I, I tell you what, the Browns' best tweet would have been like an Elves reference, but with an L-V-E-S, yeah. since they had <laughs> they to take that They did do a L. tweet saying Elves and then did the little, you know, the F around and mess around thing with the graph. They had a tweet where they said essentially that, and they did the line connecting and, you know, you guys, you guys have seen the group. I love that. Hey, (laughs) next time, Cam, when you tell us how you're going to be celebrating and players are going to be celebrating, you are not going to hide that part. You are going to disclose it because you put that out there publicly. But we got to keep it moving here at the NFL Report because the most exciting game yesterday, the Chargers and the Dolphins' seven lead changes. We're going to have Bridget Condon up with that next. We're also going to be joined by Zane Slater to learn more about them Cowboys and possibly... What about Ryan Tannehill's future with the Titans? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Bro, Tua's a baller, bro. I've been I've been saying this since last year. You know, um, I've been an advocate, you know, for him. Um, and, like, he definitely showed it today. You know, even during halftime, you know, he was able to come in, you know, get guys going a little bit. And even on the sideline with me, he's like, hey, Cheetah, let's get it, baby. Um, big time moment, big time players made big time plays. The resilience, the focus that these guys needed to have today, I mean, it's the first game. Like, you 
you don't necessarily know what to expect from from their team. And I felt like they they did their best. They gave us their best shot. Uh, they ran almost everything that we've seen watching film. So, yeah, it, it feels really, really good to be able to come out with a win. All right, you heard Tyreek Hill and Tua Tungabailoa from the victorious Miami Dolphins. We're now joined by our Bridget Condon, and Bridget and I were at that Dolphins-Chargers game. So, Bridget, for this segment, I'm going to call you Cheetah. So, come on, Cheetah. <laughs> call me Lion. Let's get it. We'll call you Lion. Please explain. Uh, yeah, Tyreek Hill said, maybe I'm not a cheetah, I'm a lion, saying that he doesn't think anybody can guard him. And while a lot of people like to use this as bulletin board material, he might be right. Tyreek Hill ran all over the Chargers uh, defense yesterday, especially against J.C. Jackson. You could just tell he's his speed, Steve, you saw it too. Watching him in person is so different than what you see on TV because the way that he moves, right? And even if we'll get we'll get into all of this, but even if the Chargers had a great game plan, the way that he can just stop on a dime and redirect defenses is what makes him so special. And you know, he's one of the best receivers in the league, if not the best. So I think this wasn't a fluke for him. We're going to continue to see high numbers like he put up yesterday. Yeah, call 200. me a cheetah, call me a lion, call me whatever you want to call me, Steve. I would take any nickname if I was Tyreek Hill. Just keep adding to the list. It's kind of funny, Bridget, because I remember having a long conversation with Vic Fangio about Tyreek Hill. And Vic is now in the same building as Tyreek Hill. And he said the hardest part, and he went against him twice a year when he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos, preparing for him is there is zero ways to simulate him during the week. Yeah. How he moves, how he operates. There is no comp to Tyree Kill in his mind to simulate in practice. And he's one of the best defense coordinators we've seen, Steve, in recent memory. He said there's no comp to him in the history of the NFL. So good luck coming up with a game plan for a player that really doesn't have a comp ever in this league. Well, well here's something. If you listen to what Tua said right there, He's like, they did everything we had seen on film before. And what they did on film last year in week 14 when Tua played, they got hands on Miami's receivers. They did not allow them to get free jump off the line of scrimmage, and they sank their linebackers deep to disrupt the crossing routes that the Dolphins like to do. They tried that yesterday, and Miami had a plan. First off, I think the receivers played with a lot of force, and, they, and Bridget, we saw this. They ran a lot of the crossing routes, a lot of the crossing routes. Then all of a sudden... Tyreek Hill runs a sluggo, quick slant and go deep because J.C. Jackson was used to seeing him go on the, on the crossing route, thought he was going to do that again. He went deep, blew by him. When he's even, he's leaving. We saw a 35-yard touchdown score there in the third quarter. So, Bridget, you talked about Tyreek Hill being unguardable. He had 215 yards and 11 catches yesterday. Tua was as accurate as they come on so many throws, even in great coverage. But is this sustainable Miami functioning at this high of octane. I think it is because of the way that, like I mentioned, he can just stop on a dime and his speed is what's going to carry this team. But I want to just say, you know, Brandon Staley, where he, I see, 
you know, maybe didn't do as well as a head coach as you would have liked him to do yesterday is he even said it. We don't we didn't play the right leverages. And so for teams, when you're going up against a guy like Tyreek, you have to be able to make those in-game adjustments, right? And if, you know, you have your safeties high and it's not working, figure out a way to drop them back or figure out a way to interrupt him or double team him. Things that, you know, they were trying everything. Maybe they didn't have the right personnel. J.C. Jackson is coming back from that injury, so he doesn't have maybe the confidence that he had two seasons ago. But with Tua being so accurate and Tyreek Hill being able to, you know, get open in various different levels of the field, I do think they can sustain this. A lot of people are wondering about the Chargers defense, right? They spent so much money the past two years on this defense. And again, it's their Achilles heel. Justin Herbert and the offense looked great. This defense, are they going to be able to figure it out? I walked in that locker room yesterday and it was pretty much cleared out. Players are pissed, right? I, I do think we need to pump the brakes, though, because this is week one overreaction. They got to figure it out, and I do think Brandon Staley will get them on the right track. Quick note, JP. No Tron Armstead, a starting left tackle for the Dolphins. Mm -hmm. Tua, clean sheet, didn't get sacked. Good job yeah. by Miami's offensive line. He, he, they look great up front, Steve. And Bridget, we know this is a copycat league, so uh, this won't be a copycat game film. This is something to watch out to avoid on how you would cover Tyreek Hill, do the exact opposite. This is, good. This is learning film. This is a teach tape right here. Bridget, appreciate it. We're going to slide on to a game that wasn't nearly as entertaining if you watched any of it, really, unless you're a Cowboys fan. And Steve, that is the Cowboys 40 to nothing drubbing of the New York football Giants. Here's a little post-game sound for you. I mean, it's one game. We're excited. We feel good. We feel good about what we played tonight. Um, I, I think we're still evolving. You know, we 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 know where we want to go. Um, I, I, I feel like we are fully capable and have an understanding how to get there. But it's a long journey. So we took we took the first step the right way. I got beat all the way around from coaching to playing. I accept that. Uh, got a lot to learn from. A lot to work on, and that's what we'll do. Um, uh, no excuses. Uh, give credit to, to Dallas. Um, they just did everything better than we did tonight. All right, that was Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys. Well, that was Mike coach. McCarthy, Steve, and oh, no, no, I got this, Steve. Yeah, I got I'm this, sorry. I'm, I'm, that I'm was Mike McCarthy and Brian Dable. Yeah. No, that's no, that's okay. That's okay. I couldn't see your beautiful face while uh, while we were in that sound right there. Listen, we got to bring in the Cowboys expert, the uh, insider of the Dallas Cowboys over here at NFL Network. Nobody knows more about this team than Jane Slater, and we have to bring Jane in to talk about really has the city exploded yet, Jane? Is Dallas okay? Is it still standing? <laughs> You know, it's always a game people get up for when they're playing the Giants. And we've talked about this leading up to this one. Dak, I think, was 11-1 and one heading into this. But this is the sort of drubbing that they were looking forward to. You know, the mantra from Mike McCarthy this year was Carpe Omnia, sees everything. And Dan Quinn, big boxing guy, this was a total knockout. Like you, James, I was coming home from New Orleans, <laughs> uh, put this on in the half, and rewatched the first half this morning. What's crazy to me is that they went out and they traded Kelvin Joseph, which I thought they should have done about two years ago, to Miami for a first-round pick in Noah I, which is what Steven called him this morning, so I will because I can't say his last name yet. Uh, but Noah has the block punt, returns it for 50-something yards in the first touchdown of the game, exactly how the Cowboys have scripted it. And then you look at Stephon Gilmore and his role in this defense this season. 
Everyone was Mike was knocking Micah Parsons when he was talking about how good this defense can be and making bold proclamations that this is a throwback championship level defense. I think you you put some a pretty good body of work there. I mean, when we go down here, look, seven sacks is all you need to know. They had eight passes defended, three by Stephon Gilmore alone, and 11 quarterback hits. They were absolutely relentless. And, you know, I texted Sean O'Hara before the show and Madeline Burke, who both cover the Giants very, very effectively. Ooh. And I said to both of them, are the Giants really that bad? And Sean said, they're not that bad, but Dallas looked that good. I mean, Micah Parsons, being able to have him as the chess piece and move him all over the field. I think he can just literally go to Jerry Jones this offseason and say, write the check. Ooh, I like Jay picking up on our follow the money theme right here that we've had because, yes, he's going to have to write that check for Micah Parsons. And look, Jane, as we know, too, the Cowboys have led the NFL in takeaways the past two years, so the fact that this defense is so good is really no surprise if you could quickly, the the depth that they have, because you see someone like safety Marquise Bell, who comes and has yeah. a type of game that he has. He's a rotational safety, an undrafted player that they got out of Florida A&M last year. The way that they are able to develop some of these guys to add to what they have talent-wise on defense, I think is something that's gone unnoticed a little bit. Well, it's the position flex, right? I love that you brought that up about Marquise Bell. And then I look at some of these other guys that they've moved around the field. I mean, Micah Parsons, when he just put his hand up and said, I can rush to the passer, no disrespect to Mike Nolan, but Mike Nolan was the defensive coordinator that first year. I would submit that Mike Nolan and a lot of defensive coordinators wouldn't have let a rookie right. like Micah Parsons step up to the plate and try. So that's not me trashing Mike Nolan. I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't have the creativity that Dan Quinn has had. And a lot of people said, well, why isn't he a head coach yet? I think that that's going to be there for him after you look at what they've been able to do this defense from that first year with Mike McCarthy to what they've built in these last couple of years. But I think Dan is really enjoying himself. When you talk to these players, even offensive players, it was Dan, it was Dak Prescott last year who told me the way they communicate with Aiden Dirty, the defensive line coach, the way they communicate with Dan Quinn, there's not really a separation in these rooms. It's very lockstep. And, you know, you hear it from, it was Jordan Lewis who got entered the cornerback. And he talked about how he was really dealing with his mental health and he wasn't returning text messages. Well, guess who showed up at his door? Dan Quinn. These guys all truly feel like he loves them and that he supports them and he puts them in positions to succeed. And you see that swagger and that dedication. I mean, I've had guys tell me the reason why they play so hard not isn't necessarily for themselves is because they don't want to let Dan Quinn and Aiden Dirty down. And I think that's huge. I think it's massive. I think it's massive. And you know the Cowboys inside and out, Shane, but what I also want to talk about is the game you were at between Titans and Saints. And I want to get right to the point because this is what you wanted to talk about. Is it time to move on from Ryan Tannehill from what you saw in just week one from the Tennessee Titans? <laughs> Put well, you, on you the guys spot. go back to 2012 when he came into the league. It was his statistically his worst start. Now, I was asking questions this morning. Is Tannehill still the guy? The answer is yes, but they are as confused as probably Tannehill is after this game. He had, what, three interceptions? Uh, was it three interceptions? I yep, can't keep picks. up with last night. Yeah, three uh, he yeah. Had the, yep. yeah, he had the three interceptions. Three 
He probably could have had more. Derek Carr, I think, had four. Who finished the game with 305 yards. Now, they didn't get a touchdown either team until late in the third quarter. Rashid Shahid, which a lot of guys, uh, people aren't familiar with him. Uh, but right before the fourth quarter, they were able to score. Both defenses played really, really well. But I thought Tannehill just, he looked a little lost out there. And... This might be the fact that they've got a lot of issues with their offensive line, guys. Heading into this one, the best offensive lineman they had on that league was one of their rookies. And so maybe he's just knocking some of the rust off from last year when he was injured. I think we probably need a bigger sample size. But for me, the writing's on the wall. When you trade up in the second round to go and get a new quarterback, it's essentially telling you that Ryan Tannehill, who's in the last year of his contract, will likely not be back next season. Yeah, Jan, and that's part of it. We can't make any judgments after week one. I'm glad you pointed out about the offensive line. They've got four new guys in there, four guys who've, who've moved around a little bit, some type of combination of that. And he didn't play much in the preseason. So, again, this is just, just something we have to see. Plus, they're playing a good Saints defense. I mean, the Saints defense has been top five uh, in almost every major statistical category for about the past five or six seasons. But Tannehill did not look good. Well, that was a veteran quarterback who took the L in week one. And coming up after the break, we're going to talk about the three rookie quarterbacks who all went out on a losing note here on the NFL Report. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other, as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All right, back to the NFL Report, and now James Palmer and I are joined by Jeff Chidea from NFL.com. Jeff just wrote his first read column. And, Jeff, you know, we know half the teams in the NFL are going to lose here in week one. All three rookie quarterbacks took the L. Let's start with Bryce Young, whose Panthers lost to the Carolina Panthers. From what you saw out of that performance, what's your takeaway? Well, look, it's it's always tough to be a rookie quarterback making your season opening debut, but and he he had some tough things going for him. Adam Thielen was was banged up. DJ Chark was banged up. You know, you're going into a place playing against uh, Atlanta Falcons defense has got some pretty good players on the back end. You saw Jesse Bates 
have a huge game against them with 10 tackles and two interceptions and a forced fumble. So I don't really put too much on it. I was in Carolina this this offseason talking to them about his growth and his development. He's got great people around him with Frank Reich and Josh McCown and Andy Dalton. He's going to be fine. But, yeah, it's numbers-wise, I wasn't surprised by what he did because he was down some serious weapons. He definitely was, and that impacted them, right, Jeff, of pushing the football down the field. That was a big problem with them, and Frank Reich talked about it Monday morning. we got to find a way to get some explosive plays. To me, what stands out most is what Jesse Bates, Steve, said after the game about the, both of his picks. They were essentially the same play. They were almost the exact same spot on the field on the hash mark, about 14 yards. And afterwards, Bryce Young saying, I didn't assume he was going to be there. I think he's learning about some of these veteran players and the work that they put in during the week about knowing where they should be and reading you a little bit. To me, those two picks might do, you know, wonders for him and his growth like that because of the way Bryce Young learns. Yeah, and you think about it, Bryce Young did not play that poorly. The Panthers did not play that poorly. This was just a game where they were negative three in the turnover department, two picks, and Miles Sanders had a fumble because you look at them statistically otherwise and everything else, they, they should have beat... The Atlanta Falcons. And actually watching that game, you have to honestly ask yourself the question. If you had Bryce Young or Desmond Ritter, whose hands do you think you feel safer in? All right, Jeff, let's go down to the Houston Texans. They got Molly Watt by the Baltimore okay. Ravens. C.J. Stroud took an L. He was asked to throw the ball 44 times. That is never ideal for a rookie. Well, it's never ideal if you're not going to block very well, right? I mean, th- those numbers don't bother me as much as the five sacks and the ten. They got all line hits, problems, right? You know, I mean, if that's going to be your game plan, you better get your offensive line right. So, um, again, I watched that game uh, against the Ravens, and it was it was hard to watch at times because didn't have a lot of time to throw. Another guy who's trying to figure out how to attack NFL defenses. Mike McDonald does a great job mixing up coverages with the Ravens. So, yeah, it was not a great combination. A lot of pass attempts, not much blocking. We thought he had good tackles. Titus Howard's on the IR. They lose George Fant. They've moved guys around in front of him all over the place. They're struggling protecting him. What jumped out at me was he was praised so much, Steve, during the offseason about how good he was in the operation, within the huddle, with getting everybody lined up. That was something that did not impress D'Amico Ryans at all in his first NFL start. And that's one aspect that maybe it's the lights are a little big. It's the first game because he thrived during the preseason with that. Struggled with it in his first start. Got to clean that up. Yeah, I mean, that's again, that's the learning curve. But the other thing is, compared to the other quarterback, it really wasn't a total disaster. Lamar Jackson in that new system, you can see the Ravens too. It's going to take them a while to absolutely get going there. But Stroud, you know, again, he's got some he's got some lesser things to work with. None of this was a surprise. We, we expected the Ravens to go out to get the early lead, mm-hmm. force him to throw the ball a lot, and that put him kind of in that one-dimensional system that you don't want any quarterback, let alone a rookie in. Anthony Richardson, start. Jeff. Yeah. Anthony Richardson, as JP pointed out to me earlier off camera, who had the least experience coming in, he looked pretty damn good. In his debut, not perfect, but he showed more than a few splashes. He was the biggest surprise of the three because he was the guy you thought was going to play the worst given the amount of experience he had, the way he looked early in the preseason. And they had a good game plan for him. They weren't throwing the ball down the field a whole lot, but it was safe passes. It was short passes. Let some guys run for the catch. Michael Pittman had had a huge play for him 
on a short pass, taking it to the house. So I thought he was in a really good place. And I know Trevor Lawrence talked to him after the game about being mindful of his body and not taking the big hits. But if I'm Shane Steichen, I feel like for game one, with the amount of experience this quarterback had, James, he, he really came out and did a pretty decent job. Yeah, and it's not a knock to either one of the other two because I also thought early in the game, C.J. Stroud did not put the ball in bad positions. He actually maybe was could have thrown a couple away, but didn't turn the football over early, which was a positive. But in terms of comfortable, he looked the most comfortable out of anybody. And I'd like to give Shane Steichen a little credit. I think this is Shane Steichen once again working with a young quarterback and deserves some credit and getting Anthony Richardson ready with just a handful of starts. I think it's a couple more than I got fingers at the college level. And he goes out there and plays in a very comfortable manner in the pocket, Steve. And you're lacking your best player on offense in Jonathan Taylor. So I, I, I have to give him some credit in how he went out there and played. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to have Anthony Richardson being your leading rusher uh, too many times like we saw yesterday, especially when he took that big hit. Guys, one quarterback who's not a rookie, but he was making one of his first few starts, Jordan Love. I mean, the transference of Bears ownership uh, in Green mm. Bay from Aaron Rodgers now to Jordan Love, Jeff. I mean, we heard for the first two years of his career, <laughs> all three of us, that maybe this guy, he wasn't going to get it. He sure as hell looked like he knew what he was doing out there against the Bears in the week one. Yeah, and there's a reason why Brian Gutekinds, the Packers GM, and Matt LaFleur were super excited about his performance after this game because, again, James mentioned it with Anthony Richardson. The comfort level was just there. He felt like a player who wasn't out there yeah. trying to prove that he could succeed Aaron Rodgers or do Aaron Rodgers-type stuff. He was playing his game. He, he was spreading the football around. And you can really see, I think that was the big thing I wanted to see, was how much would Matt LaFleur really be able to do with a quarterback who wanted to embrace his philosophies and his play calling. And that was the great thing about this. You saw the marriage there. You saw the development. You saw the maturity. And I agree, James, that Jordan Love was one of the best quarterbacks of the weekend. He really, I think he had the highest passer rating of the entire weekend. And, oh, yeah, Christian Watson didn't play in this game either. And I think they didn't ask him to do too much. But what they asked him to do... He was very, very good at it. And I think the interesting part about it is it was another miserable day in Chicago, probably on a Monday, thinking, are we at this again with the third straight guy at quarterback right. for the Green Bay Packers that is going to apparently own our team and own our city? Appreciate it, Jeff. We're going to close out the show. Steve and I will talk about the games that we were at and maybe a couple of things we heard in the hallways. Stay with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All right, we're back at the NFL report. JP, I was just checking my email, and it uh, looks like Ian and Pellicero just dropped a little nugget that Cam Hayward of the Steelers is going to miss multiple games in multiple weeks with a groin injury. That is a huge blow for that Steelers defensive line, especially after some of the things that happened yesterday. But, JP, you know, one thing that's cool about us being at games is we get conversations, guys, on the parking lot, hallways, things like that. And after the Eagles-Patriots game, uh, where you were yesterday, you had some uh, a really cool conversation. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it, that's the be- that's the, what I miss most when the offseason happens, right, Steve, is not being around these guys after games and getting the intel and the insight about w- what happened and why it happened. And it was an interesting game for the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, they come so close, a couple plays away from winning a Super Bowl, and then they come out in this game. Obviously, the weather impacted their play calling early on, but offensively, all eyes were on offensive coordinator Brian Johnson, calling plays for the very first time in the NFL. I had a chance to walk out of the stadium with Brian, who I've known, I think, since he was the quarterback back at Utah when I was covering the Mountain West Conference. No big deal. Hey. And, you know, it was in, it, was it, right? I had, to drop, I had to drop the Utes. And it, it was interesting to talk to Brian because he, he wasn't overwhelmed by any means about what happened. Some people might have thought that the offense was a little um, out of sorts in a sense. We know how good of a play caller Shane Steichen was a year ago. We know that Dallas Goddard really did not get a catch. He had one target. DeAndre Swift barely uh, touched the football. And, and there were some questions there. But he did say, like, the reason that we struggled a little bit offensively, it wasn't because of my play calling, working with Jalen, or working with, you know, this offense. It's that this Patriots defense is really good. He's like, this is going to be a top five group in the league this year. And they gave them a ton of trouble. I talked to Devontae Smith in the locker room. He told me, I don't know who they were focusing on. I I, I couldn't really tell. They were disguising everything so much. I thought, were they taking away Dallas Goddard? He goes, I don't know. I don't know what they were doing. So if that's not a compliment to Bill Belichick, when players on the field don't really know who his defense is trying to take away. That defensive front played really well against a good Eagles offensive line. I think the Eagles were a little surprised about where they played offensively, and that's why the coolest part of it, Steve, was to watch Jason Kelsey, still full uniform, Jalen Hurts and Brian Johnson in a corner of the locker room just talking about what they thought they did well and didn't do well. That's how much it matters to these guys that kind of run this ship for them. Jason Kelsey still in full uniform for 20 minutes talking to his offense coordinator and his quarterback. It's a pretty cool sight in the locker room trying to figure out how they improve because they got a short week with a game on Thursday. And you better believe other teams are going to do it. I mean, that's what teams do. Hey, this worked to stifle what the Eagles like to do. We are going to try to implement some of that with our personnel. What was really cool after Tyreek Hill caught 11 passes for 215 yards and to a tongue of Iloa threw for 466 yards, including the game winner in the final moments to Tyreek Hill. Uh, against the Chargers was Tyreek Hill and Mike McDaniel, the head coach of the Dolphins. They said the thing that is different about this offense this year, especially Tyreek Hill and Tua, is that Dan Marino in the offseason, 
went up to Tyreek Hill. They were at some place, and he said, look, you guys, you know, you're, you're really good. You're, you're working off this and that. But after practice, you receivers and quarterbacks need to meet and watch film of opposing defenses. You can really understand what some of these route concepts do against certain coverages. And even though that sounds simple, doesn't mm. every team do that? Not the way the, the Dolphins players have done it. To the point where Mike McDaniel said Tyreek Hill would have probably had half the amount of yards he had yesterday. What's that? I'd guess about 160, close to it, yesterday, had he That's not. It? I don't know. Maybe not quite <laughs> that many. Um, if he didn't, it's bad math, by the way. If he didn't do some of the things that they yeah. discussed in these meetings, such as one side of the brain separation, like when to actually separate, when to actually hit a gear, when to break, because that way, instead of catching the ball and falling, or catching getting tackled right away, you can catch and you're a yard behind that defender with a guy who's got the speed of Tyreek Hill, and to make a play, and that's why they were able to hit some big plays, and that's why like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. James, if they're able to continue this, they are going to be a dangerous team. James, I know you've got something else you want to talk about. It wasn't necessarily something that happened in the hallway. In fact, this is something that happened on the field. It was my favorite play of the entire weekend, and it involved a guy that didn't even touch the football. In the Jaguars win over the Indianapolis Colts, when you saw a touchdown pass to Calvin Ridley, he got run. he's outside the hash mark. You see Travis Etienne, the running back, running out wide. He doesn't get the ball in the flat. What does he do, Steve? He flies past Calvin Ridley at, like, warp speed. I guess this entire deal, we're obsessed with, with guys that can absolutely fly. He goes past Ridley, lays a block, Ridley into the end zone. My favorite thing when skilled players go out there and get physical when they're out there blocking. That wraps up the NFL report. Remember, Steve, on Thursday, we're going to have Thomas Brown giving us great insight on the number one overall pick, Bryce Young. That's the offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers, as well as Brian Baldinger will join us with his breakdowns. This was the NFL report. Look at that jersey. Appreciate you guys. What? Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Thermador at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build.